Well, hello everyone. This is Laura Camacho, the Culture Fixer, and welcome to episode 114 of the Speak Up podcast. And this is where we talk about the conversations that we need to have in order to reach our goals. And today we have a very special guest whom I'm interviewing from sunny San Diego, although it's sunny here in Charleston too. It's Mala Subramaniam, and she is a cross-cultural communication expert, and she's just put out a book called Beyond Winds, Beyond Winds, and, and the subtitle is Western Mindset for Success in Daily Business Negotiations. And really what she, she goes into so much detail, so helpful. You know, she is not just like negotiations to buy a car or job salary. It's really that day-to-day trying to get resources for your project, trying to push back if somebody's uh, trying to put too much, you know, work on your plate. It's really those tricky conversations. And I really love her approach to it because it's introvert friendly and uh, it's, it's super accessible. And Mala used to work in you know, several name, brand name companies, the big ones. And then she uh, became her, uh, a trainer and she's been teaching the cross-cultural and, and negotiation skills for a long time. So welcome to the Speak Up podcast, Mala. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your story? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start with this uh, book, how it started, and then go into uh, a little bit about the experience that I have. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I worked for IBM and I was laid off uh, around 2005 uh, because they were restructuring. And I was sitting outside in the parking lot for a long time thinking, what the heck am I going to do now? You know, it's uh, one of the big companies. Previously, I had worked for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Chase Manhattan, Dun and Bradstreet, and I thought IBM was the last stop. I was sitting in the parking lot and I was looking back and I remembered I had lost so many friends and so many uh, relationships with vendors, with clients, with internal folks. And I wondered, what is it that, uh, you know, I had done? Because I'm from an Eastern culture. Uh, Basically, I'm from India, where we believe in relationships and maintaining relationships, being very contemplative about how you work with each other. And here I had lost it. And, and I said, I really need to do something about it. I know now what happened because I was part of this rat race trying to win. You know, every, every project, every event, or every conversation I had with uh, people, I thought I had to be ahead of the game. I had to win. And now I realize all that winning really meant nothing but loss of relationships and results. Here I am outside in the parking lot. So that's when, <laughs> that's when, you know, a friend of mine called me and asked me, Mala, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I think I'm going to share with the corporate world what they need to do to prepare themselves and not fall into the trap I did. Wow, that's a great story. And I, I, to- I, I think that's why I never fit in really the corporate world or the whole, that 
to me is we have a children's story. I, the name of it is slipping my mind, but it's about this bull, Ferdinand the bull. And he was, <laughs> you know, instead of being this ferocious bull, he was I like to just hang out in the pasture with the flowers. And that's, I, I totally, that resonated with me when I was on the swim team in high school. I mean, it was just seemed so pointless to go faster than somebody else. <laughs> So I, I was like a corporate dropout or, um, so now I understand why, because that, that pressure to win, uh, I think that's a old school, like maybe comes from the military, uh, structure, you know, the American organizational development started, you know, has its roots in the military structure. Right. Uh, but that, that's so interesting, but you were apparently successful with the winning model until 2005, right? Yes, I, you know, I kept uh, making progress in terms of I, you know, I have an MBA and I have a master's in sociology and I have a strong uh, analytical background. So I really did make a lot of wins. You know, I, I got to the level where I was speaking to uh, the chairman, the CEO, and I would go into boardroom to make presentations. I was really flying high. So yeah, it sounds like it. Wow. Well, but but now you're crashing right. down. <laughs> yeah, well, but then you can you like the Phoenix, you emerged again. Yes. Um, well in this in this book, which I it just has so many details and so many pieces to, to grasp, and it's so good, such good communication expertise here. But uh in, early in your book, you point out that mindset is the foundation for success in negotiation. But what, if it's not a, say it's not gonna be a winning mindset because you've already given that away. So, so like, what do you mean and how, and how can we get that, the right mindset for negotiation? The right mindset basically is focusing on the long-term relationship. And the wins and the losses are all day-to-day -day occurrences. But if you are focused too much on the win, you lose the friend. And what happens is in corporate America, if you're working and if you have to survive, you have to make sure that you take everybody along when you're accomplishing projects. And rather than saying, okay, I'm the only one I won and you've lost, I think that kind of in the long run it, it's not success. It is failure, basically. And this short-term wins, you know, in a project, you have achieved your goals, you have tired everybody out, exhausting them, you know, making all these demands, your staff, team, vendors, nobody wants to even see your face after a while because you're on this winning streak. But then in the end, what really success is both relationship and results. So if you keep both of them in your mind when you're talking to people, when you're negotiating, then in the long run, that really works and really successful people. So I always draw a, a difference between a win, which is short-term, which is event-based, which is a start and a finish, and success, which is a path. It is, it, you know, there is no finish line to it. You're just making sure that you are not only uh, getting results, but you're also taking people along with you so that they, you know, the more you befriend people, 
the greater the chance that your projects in, will succeed in the long run. Yes, I love that bringing people with you. I, I think that's that's a the only way we should operate, right? To, <laughs> especially if you're talking about people that you work with, and you gave several examples, and it, that resonated with some of the things I've heard from coaching clients about that person who's like the star, but everybody hates to work for him or her because it's exhausting. And, and a lot of times they feel like the, 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 the worker bees, the person making that person that, you know, quote unquote winner successful are not getting the credit for it. Uh, yes. So since, so since 2005 to 2020 pre COVID, you know, the zeitgeist has changed a lot and we, we had our financial crisis. So you got out just before that in 2007, 2008. And there's a lot more talk about collaboration rather than competition. And I also know that what, what people talk about and how they actually act are not the same thing always. But since you're working, you know, as a service provider and trainer for these large companies, I'm wondering, are you seeing a switch to a more collaborative working model? It, it, it is slowly evolving. And, and it, it is also very, uh, very functional oriented. You would see a lot more collaboration in uh, the operations and the engineering and uh, uh, IT field where they cannot function independently. Right. Like, that makes you sense. know, because they're all like, you know, you, you can't turn on one switch without knowing where the other switch is. So those are all, uh, they have to work in collaboration. And uh, uh, that's always been the case and it's evolving and it's getting better. Where I see the collaboration is kind of struggling is in areas like product management, marketing. Those are the two areas where, you know, I mean, I work with a lot of people. My, some of my coaching clients are in product management, mm -hmm. product development. And, and I see there is a lot of resistance to collaboration. Oh, really? Yeah, because they are only focused on, hey, I need my name to be up in the for forefront. So I, I was with a coaching client and I asked her, what is your goal? And she said, my goal is to gain visibility in the company. Mm -hmm. I said, that is not a goal because you can also gain visibility by doing something scandalous. And I said, so that's a misplaced goal. And I think that's where I think the training uh, has to be done uh, among the marketing and the you know, the product management, product development, uh, the research, uh, they, they're, uh, I think they are so focused on themselves or the project on, on winning that I don't see much collaboration in that field. Yes, well, it'll be interesting. And we'll talk about this a little bit later about how, you know, this big transition that we're in the middle of right now with the COVID-19, how that's going to effect and I think it hopefully it will go we will move to more collaboration because mm -hmm. I think that's really the only way we're gonna we're gonna make it you have you give this tip about listening to an inspirational talk as a way of getting into the right mindset and I, I love that but tell me how about how that 
came to be and like how you practice that and how you coach that? You know, I, uh, I had to go into a very uh, contentious uh, meeting where there was a group of uh, executives who were challenging me. Uh, you know, I'm a market researcher, so I had to go and make presentations to senior level people. And I knew this, these people were going to attack me when mm -hmm. I went there because the results were customer satisfaction results and they were not at all uh, satisfactory. Uh, the satisfaction levels were low. Now, my thing is, how do I go in and uh, present this? And it was kind of, uh, you know, the fear of uh, outcomes, the fear of failure, the fear of losing credibility, all that comes up. So I was just sitting and then suddenly um, the, you know, I turned on, um, you know, some music and that completely kind of after a few seconds, it completely softened me. And then I listened, I was reading a passage from Mahatma Gandhi and it was so inspiring. It elevated my uh, thing and it made me feel like I can't be that petty. If these people are challenging me, there must be a reason. They're all troubled. They're all upset about the results. It's going to affect their bonus checks. And it's going to affect, <laughs> yeah, it's going to affect, uh, you know, the stock price uh, eventually. So I said, I have to be more understanding and I have to come from a higher plane a little bit more noble. And then I spent like almost an hour listening to different speeches. The one that I loved the most was Steve Jobs. You know, his speech uh, at the commencement in Stanford University was so inspiring. When I went in there to that meeting, I was at such a high level and I was so understanding and to the point where the chairman who is sitting there basically asked me, what do you think we should do now? Wow. That's because so, of the emotion and the confidence you were exuding. That was the, probably the nonverbal body language that exactly. you were showing because your mind had changed. That's a great tip. I, um, you, you know, probably you do too. Do I coach around what I call scary meetings when it's a <laughs> mid-level person going to a meeting with, you know, senior C-suite people, and they usually feel intimidated. So I think listening to Steve Jobs talk or maybe another talk before that would be a great way to get your head in the right space because you, you talk a lot about emotions. And I think that in business, that that's something that people tend, especially analytical types, yeah. Uh, disregard or ignore or think that's stupid or unimportant, but it's not, right? Yeah, no, no, it is very, yeah, this, you know, what happens is uh, there's a lot of, I mean, you're a communications expert, so you know very well. There is so much noise within our head. Correct. And, and it's not the outside noise. You know, the outside noise you can shut out by, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, electronic uh, medium, but you can't shut out the noise within your mind. The way to shut it out is to listen to something positive, something calming and relaxing. Because when your mind is agitated, it's very difficult to sit down and do meditation. Uh, I think the best thing to do then is to listen to 
some somebody who has accomplished something or somebody who is kind and compassionate and then you kind of the noise slowly leaves you and then you're able to think clearly and talk clearly i love that that's i'm going i'm going to add that to my toolbox <laughs> i hadn't i had oh, definitely I thought about that all right well let me go backtrack a little bit so you when, when I think of negotiation, prior to reading Beyond Wins, I thought of formal negotiations, you know, for a treaty or a contract, but you totally turned that upside down. And it's like, you know, even negotiating with your husband where you're going to go out to dinner is a negotiation, right? So, so tell me, like, your definition of uh, negotiation and and how you came to, to see it that way. Sure. My, my definition of negotiation is basically, um, you know, taking a problem or, or an issue or an opportunity and sitting with people and coming to an agreement on what the real problem is and what the solution is. Okay. And, and that is basically my uh, perspective on. So, which means it could be any problem. Right. It could and be even talking to your, uh, like I've done in the communication signal chapter, mm -hmm. it's even talking to your teenage child. <laughs> right. And it's persuasion. It's, you yeah, know, it's exactly. a lot of persuasion, which I think is one of the chakras um, of that. Yeah, so, uh, yes, Mala organizes uh, these uh, seven chakras. You call them the signals, right? Yes. And um, they have to buy the book, of course, to find out all of them. And it's a highly recommended book. But there was one I wanted to talk about in detail. Sure. And that was rule number four. Say it only if you believe it. Like, why, why did you, how did you come up with that? Um, like, why would somebody say something? Is, is that referring to the people bluffing or what? Where did that come it from? Is, it, 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 it so happened that uh, during uh, one of my uh, training, when I did training for people on negotiation, I was doing training for negotiation mm -hmm. since 2006. You know, okay. I, uh, I did webinars and, um, you know, the, one of the people, you know, one of the students said, uh, you know, and I was teaching advanced presentations for people who, you know, technical field, uh, when they presented so boring. So uh, the audience, one of the students told me, Mala, we are often given the deck and we have to go and present it. And, and I asked them, do you actually take the deck? and just go to an audience and present and he said yes we have to I said no you don't have to <laughs> I I said you know you, you the deck is given to you but you have to internalize it and right. you you have to take the piece in that in the deck that you believe in mm -hmm. because if you don't believe in what you're saying you can't convince the person in the audience so that's what this means. Don't say it if you don't believe it. Because if I'm telling you something, you know, unless you know that I believe in it, unless you can feel it, you're not going to believe it. Right. And did, I, I didn't, I, I don't want to try to find my note on this, but I think that you wrote somewhere that the person with the right 
attitude is going to win the negotiation? What is, did I, am I remembering, misremembering or remembering that correctly? It seems like that's what I remember a point to, to elaborate on that idea. Sure. Um, if, you, if, you, if you go into a negotiation with, uh, with doubts, you know, with, oh, if I go in and if I say this, this is what they're going to say. I don't believe in the client. The client is out to get me. Uh, if you have all these fears and doubts, then when you go into a, a negotiation, those are the doubts and the fears. They're going to manifest themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what would you advise to somebody who uh, is approaching a senior or more senior executive and wants to, you know, negotiate something that she, that he or she feels the the executive doesn't want to give them. I mean, sometimes insecurity is just a made up fear, but sometimes it's justified because maybe your idea is risky and the company would, you know, there's a whole idea of taking risk and trying new ideas, and that, but they do have, there is a downside. So what would you advise somebody in that position? If, if you are taking, I think this is an example that I give in the book. If you are, um, you know, say you have done a study and that disputes what the executive wants to do or wants to, uh, you know, believes, Mm -hmm. And you're going in there and you have to present this. First and foremost, I wouldn't present the results to them. I would start with the, uh, with the data, with the information, and ask them to come to the conclusion. Uh, okay. And, and I, I will present the data and the information in such a compelling way that the results will stare them in their face. Right. And that's actually a same, a same process as I'm sure you know, to use for feedback when you, you know, instead of telling somebody that they underperformed, point out, you know, paint the story. This is what happened. This is what we were expecting. So help me understand the gap there. Exactly. And I, and I think I, uh, in research, in the beginning, I went in and I told everybody, oh, this company stinks. But then when I, I learned my bitter lesson, lesson, when, you know, people stop using research, then I said, okay, I can't do it this way. I have to go in there and present the data and work with them to come up with the insights. And that is the same thing with negotiation. You don't go in and say, these are the options. This is what I think you want. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. Which is, what you, which is yeah. like, it feels like the natural thing to do, but it's, it's wrong. Yeah it, yeah. Is, yeah, it is like, okay, I think this is the problem. Mm -hmm. And do you agree with it? Is this the problem? And then we come to a common understanding. The shared understanding is the most important thing about communication. Yeah. So you come to a shared understanding. Once you've come to the shared understanding, the solution is not far off. If you come to the right problem, the right solution is right behind it. Yeah, and I think you, there's a story or an example that you say yeah. that there's like most of your effort should be going to defining the problem because that's it's, a lot harder than actually finding the solution to it. Right, and, and, and that's a sale, a selling, you know, when sales, a selling services, as you have to 
agree that there's a problem or else you can't sell your solution. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have never, that's why, you know, I say marketing is different than sales. A lot of people, the person who was editing the book asked me, what is the difference between sales and marketing? I thought they were the same. No. I said that the sales is outbound. Mm-hmm. And marketing is inbound. <laughs> right. You know, right. you're getting yeah. the feedback and you're providing a solution. That's right. Tell me about emotions. And I think in women overall tend to be more emotional at work. In fact, I interviewed a, a friend who works in a bank and she was sharing her like lessons learned stories. And it was about, you know, uh, a, a meeting with a, a big meeting that didn't go well. And, she, you know, she had to really fight not to cry. And of course, none of the men had that issue. Like, how do you, how do you teach that when there's some people who have trouble with their emotions and some people don't even see that as an issue at all? I think, I think the, the emotion that gets all of us into trouble is anger. Oh, so true. Guilty. And anger. And anger, you know, inward is depression and regrets and things like that. And when it's turned inwards, uh, that's when you kind of start crying because you don't know how to push out your anger on somebody, somebody else. Yes. So the anger is the, uh, is the worst of the emotions. In, in uh, Eastern principle, it talks about that, the emotion. And emotion is surface level. And the best way to handle that is to pause and go into the silence mode because silence is your true nature. It's the power within you, you know, and, and you need to get that silence to help you. I give instances in the book about how somebody reacted when a trainer said, okay, we want to hire other executive coaches and you know the can you can we lower your lower your price and the person reacts because they get angry you know and and anger is very closely connected to ego ego is 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 i you know i am this person you know i am i am mala i have two advanced degrees and how dare you tell me that you've got an ex- You see, the anger mm-hmm. uh, is, is an offshoot of ego. But also uh, fear, like, because you your yeah. fear, it would be of losing the business. Exactly. Oh, yeah, definitely. The fear, fear. And, and so what you have to, what, what I uh, recommend, uh, you know, people that I coach is, you know, when, when you recognize the anger, Welcome the anger. Don't suppress it. Welcome it. Welcome the fear. Welcome the anger. And trace the root of the anger. Why are you angry? Are you angry because this person said something about you? Or is it something about your project? It always has to be something about you. You know, your project to your uh, thing it's not about the other person so that's when you get about your children you know you you kind of get angry and you trace the anger and then you ask this question okay I'm going to scream what is the benefit of that what am I going to lose or what am I going to gain so if you pause and you ask this question then 
uh, you know, then you succeed. But whenever I'm angry, I, I, I never talk to people. I usually shut off. I, I'll tell them, frankly, right now, I, I think I'm not in the right frame of mind to talk or to discuss this. Can we get back and talk later? Yeah, I think that I think that's very powerful. I'm taking all kinds of notes as you're talking. Um, I, I love that tracing the anger. I once talked, spoke with a engineer client, and she was angry about having given some feedback to one of her managers about a presentation that, and he hadn't he hadn't done what she asked, and he gave the presentation not the way she wanted and but we went like well why is that so why is that making you so angry and I love that I hadn't thought of that or didn't remember that expression to trace the anger and we took it down several levels and at the end she was worried that it was going to be affecting her in consideration for a promotion like at the end of this year and this was last month at first she was just all upset about this presentation and then tracing it, and, and then she was like able to, oh, okay, that's what's wrong. So I, I love that tracing the anger. This is so good. So introvert friendly, your approach. I think it's just, it's not intimidating. It's, you're not talking in anywhere in the book. It's nothing about intimidation. It's about building relationships, and it's about managing your mind, and, and the way you look at the problem and coming to agreement. It's really, I think it's just a beautiful uh, book. Do you use this as a companion to your workshops, or is it just separate? I, I think I, I was teaching a lot of that in the past 10 years. So in one of the classes, one student said, you know, Mala, I have attended, uh, you know, training, uh, you know, I've read uh, Getting to Yes. I've read Never Split the Difference. I have. I I wish I had attended your class before I read all those books. I think Getting to Yes and Never Split the Difference are phenomenal books, but they don't talk talk about preparing yourself so that you succeed. They they are more into doing. Okay, if, if this person says this, do this. Right, right, right. Very tactical. Very tactical. And, and what I am right from my career, I've always been strategic in my thinking. Mm -hmm. So my thing is, and, and this is the same thing I tell people when, you know, the coaches, coaching clients, they come to me and say, I have an interview. Can you prepare me for the interview? I said, no, I can't prepare you for the interview. You pre I, pre I can prepare you. <laughs> right exactly and then you exactly. can succeed in any interview yeah oh, that's a great way yeah it's so true it's so true yeah and, and and the thing with all those tactics then you have to remember what you're supposed to say when they say this other thing and that yeah. is like hopeless <laughs> i will never be able to do that but i can go in you know with the success mindset of um you know, looking to build a relationship and, and to bring others with me. The question I've been so excited to ask you, since you're multicultural in your teaching, that when you are teaching in India, what do you tell them about us in America? Like, how do you prepare? Because you're teaching us here, like, to calm down, be silent, chill, work on the long term. 
So when you're teaching in India, what's your approach? See, I think there are three basic differences, the values, uh, time, relationship, and status, uh, which is, those are the three core values where uh, the U.S. uh, American is different from the Indian, uh, from Asia, from um, Indian, uh, Asian Indian. I think Mm -hmm. that's a better classification. Asian Indians are all about interdependent group orientation. Mm -hmm. So if you give a project to an Indian, it's not going to be just him doing the project. There'll be about 10 other people helping him, but you won't even know that. Um, So when you go in to do the recognition, he won't like it if you just call him out and say, okay, you did a great job. Because there are 10 other people who are involved in it. Mm-hmm. And if you invite him to a celebration party and not the other 10 people, he's going to die of guilt. Oh, my goodness. So that's not the way they are used to. Right. And, 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 and in India, the time factor, you know, time is passage. Time is, mm-hmm. time is called call. It's passage. So it is, you know, when somebody dies, you say, oh, he has passed the time. That's it. You know, we don't call it death. <laughs> so, so it, when I teach Indians, uh, I did a whole week class about the uh, United States. I said, America is all about being independent, independent recognition. And uh, so, you know, I mean, this country, you know, look at the history of this country. We fought and the the independence is recognized. At work, independence is recognized. If I tell somebody in uh, in the United States, hey, we're not going to recognize you or, you know, you can work your tail off, but I'm not going to give you any awards or rewards, that person will stop working. So true. Because that is the way you're raised in school too. We are, you know, in schools, every, everything you get, you get a star, you get stickers. And in India, you could be doing like one whole year of work and the final exam, if you failed, you fail for the whole year and you have to repeat it. Oh, wow. So it's a different mindset. So whereas in America, that's what I teach them. I said that, you know, in America is all about independent thinking. And the whole country is very process driven. I mean, look at the process here. Everything is structured. You go to India, you know, you won't know, you know, you might be on door number 70 and you'll think the next door is 71. No, it might be three streets away. What? How, yes. can you, how does the mail delivery work? Oh, because the mailman knows you personally. Oh, okay. So he's going to do, del- he's delivering it to Mala, not to door number 40 or door number 30. Oh, so even if you moved, he would find you. Yeah. And, and in some of the addresses will say old number 40, new number 71. So it's wow. very interdependent. It's dependent on people here the structure is such that you can survive independently. I can come from any country and survive in uh, the United States. Yes. Because I have the map, the GPS, the roads are all clear signs. It's all in one language. And, uh, you know, if a person is uh, in wheelchair, you have the handicap access. It's a very, very friendly country, friendly in the sense it's a compassionate country. It cares about people and make sure that the processes are set in place so that people can survive without, 
Whereas in, in other countries, most other countries that I've been to, it's not like that. Oh, so true. So yes. This is what I tell them. You know, I tell uh, when I think it's, it's, it's independent and it's structure and it's process. The Americans are all about timelines, deadlines, <laughs> rewards, recognition. And you're all about time is passage, interdependent and relationships. So when, when that's the reason for the clash between the U.S. and India when they work, you know, I mean, there were some major projects that fell apart. And so they would ask me to come in and give lectures and they'd say, oh, my God, I wish you had given us this lecture when, before we started. Yes, so, they brought you in a little late. Yeah. And, and also I tell them that, India, uh, uh, you know, don't think Americans are rude. They're very direct. <laughs> when they speak, <laughs> you know, if they, if they say no, it means no, you know, and if they say I'll try, they are going to try. Don't think that they, their I'll try is your no, <laughs> you know, so yes. uh, those are the things I always uh, tell the Indians there. and also the relationship, you know, don't go in and ask personal questions and oh, you know, because yeah. that's not what uh, America is all about. America is all about having its own space and right. people enjoying the independence. Uh, so that, you know, th those are the things I normally uh, tell. Uh, ah. That's and, so interesting, Mala. And just one more question. I think uh, given that the we're in, you know, come hopefully coming out of our this unexpected health pandemic. And what do you think that people in company you know? What do people need to be? How do we need to change our communication and make it better? I think uh, there's a higher level of stress all over and a, more uncertainty. So what is your recommend, what do you see from, you're on the other side of the country as uh, changes in communication or the way we should approach things and work as a result of this uh, pandemic? Sure, I, I, I think um, what is needed is uh, more compassion. Okay. I, yeah. I think because when people are afraid you know, fear, when you're in fear, you're asking the question, what will happen to me? Yes, correct. When you are uh, compassionate and you have courage, you're asking, oh, what is going to happen to the other person? How can I help? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we need to train people to have that courage to be compassionate. And the, the best way to get out of fear is compassion. Oh, I love that. That is a, that's a great tip. Thank you. So I think that the important thing is that we teach people uh, to be compassionate and uh, to, uh, to work together so that they, they can achieve more because to tell them that when, when they work together, just because they're all virtual and they're doing their own things, you know, sometimes something is lost. Oh, so, yes. so I think the constant communication, yes, in, engaging with other people. And I feel management has to put the process in place to make sure that engagement happens. I'm not talking about, you know, giving re my, uh, project reports and things like that. I'm talking more about how do you come to a, co a common understanding of the problem? 
how do we how do we do a nice brainstorming session in a virtual session and how do we come in uh, with a common understanding of the problem right i think the and, online discussion needs to be structured differently yeah definitely right. and and right. what role each person plays in it is very important right now uh, you know people are off in all tangents you know yeah. they don't have very clear idea of what their role is they know what their power is and they are kind of getting attached to it they're afraid that is the fear okay I was a manager and I used to be able to control all these people who came into work and I could see them and I could clock their time in and out I could tell them but now they are at home I have no idea what they are doing I think the trust yes is is a is more apparent the need to build trust in a different way and to find different ways of measuring the work maybe yeah yeah and 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 for a while i think we should stop doing all these performance uh reviews and things like that because right now you know the fear can completely shut down your brain Oh, and, yes. And then all these people that have their kids at home, I don't know how they're, I mean, fortunately, my youngest is in college and even just having her here in the house is a little bit disruptive, disruptive. but I don't have a teacher. <laughs> I don't, she, she can, you know, take care of herself. So I think that's, uh, is been, a, yeah, I think you're surely surely that will be apparent to people the change yeah i i think the so the in, in you know in what i would say is the trust mm -hmm. should be there compassion okay and and a process put in place so that uh people you know so that we understand what is going on uh with the people and how do we make allowances right and uh and and not you know and i definitely i think the performance review would be the biggest disincentive oh yeah it would, because it i've been through all clear. this and now they're going to give me a three as a rating and that would be the biggest <laughs> no that that just seems grossly unfair surely surely that's not going to happen yeah but, and yeah. yeah so i th i think if we can do that i think the communication will be uh, uh maintain sharing a lot of information because mm -hmm. there's a flood of information so if sure. each company were to give like some okay this is what is happening this is how you're going to be impacted uh because i i, I talked to somebody who said that their company they discovered somebody who had the virus mm -hmm. and they just sent one of these standard emails saying oh this person has come to all of you be safe you wow. know, this person was saying, what does safe mean? I'm going <laughs> into the company. <laughs> so right. that kind of a nebulous, uh, ambiguous uh, communication can really, um, you know, disenchant the employees. Right. I was, yeah, I think just we need to pay a lot of attention to how we're communicating right now. Well, this has been so interesting. Well, I'm so appreciative of the work that goes into writing a book. And it's, this one is so well organized. I guess that's your analytical. <laughs> it's just beautiful, great examples, tools, practical. And uh, I, I just, I really, I really liked it. So thank you. And I'm, 
uh, we're going to say goodbye for now and uh, until the next episode.